And so this morning, Pastor Glenn is over at Vintage Church, and he is going to preach there. And Pastor Timothy is here and is going to share the message with us this morning. I'm excited to hear about it. So uh, we are going to do that in just a minute. But before we do, I would love for you to take a look at this Love Lodi video that we have for you, kind of telling you what's coming. It's an honor to be here with you this morning, and I know First Baptist has had such a crucial role in Love Lodi over the years, and it really, it's just an honor to be here this morning. Even though it's supposed to be a pulpit swap, this isn't really a pulpit, but I guess I'll make, I'll make do. But really, Tara and I love loving Lodi, and we're really just so thankful for the opportunity last year to co-chair with Glenn Barnes, and then after the 2022 Love Lodi, Glenn handed the baton to Tara and I to chair the Love Lodi team, and really, we do have an amazing team for Love Lodi. It's made up of pastors and business people and nonprofit leaders, and it's really just a great uh, team that wants to love and serve our city. And, you know, but one of the things that I love the most about it is the unity between churches, Um, not only between First Baptist and Vintage, but, you know, the guy with the wheelbarrow and the nice calves was um, Reed from Calvary Church, and he's another good friend, gospel preaching pastor, and I love just the synergy that we have with all of these churches and what we get to do and put love on display in our city. And um, so, you know, in a world where division is so normal, unity is an apologetic. And I'm just thankful for Glenn's friendship, and I'm thankful for the partnership in the gospel. You know, Tara and I, we moved to Lodi in 2020 um, to revitalize what was then Lodi Community Church. And the church was on the verge of closing. There was about 23 members, mostly senior saints, and it had a rich past. Many of you may have gone to happy hours preschool, but it was in danger of its candlestick being removed and blown out. And so in the middle of a 21-day fast, day five, I got a message about the opportunity to come to Lodi and replant or revitalize the church. So after lunch, my wife and I drove down to Lodi. We looked at the building and the facility and the community, and we said, hey, I don't think God is done here yet. And so, you know, I really believe that God had something for 4 4 West Turner Road again. And so my first Sunday, here it is, was March 15th, 2020. So I got to the church. There was a little bit of excitement. I said, hey, guys, I'm your new pastor. Next week, I'll see you on Facebook. And to which some said, "Um, what's Facebook? I don't have an email. How do I get a Facebook? And it was a journey for sure. But here's the good news is that even through all the challenges and ups and downs through the pandemic and whatnot, God has been gracious to us. And all along the way, we sense God's grace behind our backs. And we saw little by little God bringing life, new life to the church. And so Tara and myself and our five kids, we have four daughters And we have one son. My oldest is 18, and my youngest is 10. Four girls, one boy. We moved to Lodi in 2020 of July, or July 2020. And, you know, we love Lodi, and really... Um, We're just incredibly blessed to preach the gospel and to love Lodi. It's as simple as that for me. I want to preach the gospel and believe that we are in the city for the city. And so at our church, our mission is simply to make Jesus irresistible in everyday life. Because honestly, Jesus is irresistible. And so let's get right to it. Let's get to the word. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to... 
Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We're going to be reading this morning from verses 14 to 21 in chapter 5. And um, I asked Glenn for permission, but at Vintage Church, when we read the Word of God, we stand. And so he gave me permission. And so if you're willing and you're able, we stand for the reading of God's Word because we believe that the Word of God has given us to equip us, encourage us, and empower us in our everyday life so that we can make Jesus irresistible. So if you would please stand with me this morning. We're going to read together 2 Corinthians five fourteen to 21. And this is the Word of the Lord. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now from, not, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation." The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that Christ, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. And so we do ask that this morning that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus better. We ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts and you'd open our ears so that we could hear the gospel this morning. Lord, proclaim Jesus to our hearts and minds and stir up our affections and captivate our minds' attention this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I don't know about you, but um, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I didn't buy a new shirt for this Sunday. Um, I actually wore this on Good Friday, but you know, last week for Easter, I did buy a new shirt and I did buy a new tie. My wife bought a new dress. We bought dresses for all our girls, and my son even got a collared shirt because mostly he just likes to wear sweats and no shirt at all. Um, but you know, it, they looked great. Really, on Easter they shine. They look sharp, and my guess is you did too. Because for us, Easter is the day, right? It's it's the Super Bowl for Christians. We love Easter Sunday. We really do everything shines on Easter. There's energy in the air. Everything is on point. Preaching, music, creativity, baptisms. That was amazing. And on Easter Sunday, usually churches are at their peak attendance. I really love Easter. But but what if Easter was just the beginning? What if the whole point of Easter wasn't this epic high that faded But what if it was something that shined brighter through our lives and through our love? What if we lived in light of the resurrection, a life of love that shined with ever-increasing glory? The resurrection isn't the end of the story. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate Pentecost and thus the ascension of Christ, where the resurrected king poured out his spirit to the church, and the church was born, this beginning or inauguration of the new creation. It was an inauguration of newness, of life. The Holy Spirit was given and love, amazingly, was poured out in our hearts. 
And like John Wesley said, our hearts, I hope you've experienced this, was strangely warmed by the love of God. And the gospel is now bearing fruit and has been bearing fruit in all the world. And it's beautiful. And yet at times I fear that sometimes we fall prey to the ever-present power of sin. And we make Easter, even the gospel at times, about us. About what we want and how we feel. And today we're talking about the love of God. And often, I know when we think about the love of God, we think in terms of comfort, of how it affects me, like this warm blanket or snuggie or that warm cup of coffee in the morning. It's all about the comfort that we receive. And perhaps that's why we love Easter. We get dressed up and we love hearing about Jesus and how he conquered death and he rose from the dead for me. Now, all of this is gloriously true, but there's more to the story. And we often think that the love of God is primarily about me sometimes. And, and so when we hear, for God so loved the world, we think, man, God so loved me. We sing songs like, oh, how he loves you and me, with the emphasis on the me. And there's nothing wrong with rejoicing and exulting in the love of God. We, but when we start to focus on those therapeutic goosebumps and we take comfort in God's love and that becomes the essence of the story we have to be careful because for sure that's part of the story but we must be careful not to fall prey to the power of sin in Genesis it says that sin crouches at our door and it wants to devour us it wants to steal kill and destroy the resurrection life that Jesus died for and rose again that we might have And so we must understand that the most powerful force for good in the world is the love of God. And we cannot let sin hijack the love of God in our life and damn its flow. There is comfort, for sure, in God's love, but that's not all. Now, the reformers, the Protestant reformers, had this saying in curvatus and say, and it's Latin for this phrase, curved inward on oneself. And they use this to describe the power of sin. It's this idea that sin in the flesh bends everything towards self. Even God's love, even something as amazing as God himself, we can use for our own self. But the power of God's love actually breaks us free from this gravitational pull and frees us to love and serve others. And really, that's the big idea this morning. The big idea this morning is that God's love revealed in the gospel breaks the power of sin, and frees us to love and serve others. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21, our text for this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that has been compromised by self and hamstrung by sin. And in his first letter, he reminds them of the gospel. You'll recall that in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for this is of first importance. And here he is writing to the faithful to remind them again of the gospel. Because it is in the gospel that we receive the power to break sin in our everyday life and live for God and others. You see, we love only because he first loved us. And did you note that it's not we feel love because he first loved us, but we love 
because he first loved us. There is something outward facing about God's love. Now, I know that there are many definitions of love, but I think if you were to look to the cross, look to the gospel, look to the scriptures, you could define love as this. Love is the laying down of one's life for the good of another. And you see this in Ephesians 5 when husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. Or you could look in John chapter 15 where Jesus said greater love is that no man has than this than he lays down his life for his friends. Simply, you could simply say that love is this. It's me for you. It's me for you. And so this morning, I want to share with you five things that love does in and through us in, from this scripture. Number one, if you're taking notes, the love of God controls us. The love of God controls us. And we see that right there in verse 14. It literally says, for the love of Christ controls us. And, you know, when Paul says this, I think what he means is that it acts like a controller in our lives. And, you know, our state has a state controller and some businesses have a controller. And their whole job as a senior executive is to make sure that nothing gets squirrely and that the budget is on track and that there's no activity financially that goes above budget or anything like that. They are a controller. And for the Apostle Paul, the love of God is like that. It's a controller in our life. It's a controlling narrative. It's a controlling story in our life. And so in our everyday life, the love of God is to be revealed as the standard. It's what we look to at all times, this standard standard definition of the love of God. It's a plumb line. And anything below that plumb line, anything below the love of God is unacceptable for the Apostle Paul. Why? Well, he reaches his conclusion logically. He comes to it, and we see it here in the next verse, the remaining half of verse 14. And if you're taking notes, number two is the love of God challenges us. And the scripture continues, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. And therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, Paul understands the gospel. He understands that if Christ died and the wages of sin is death, then he died not for his own sins, but he died for our sins. He understands the gospel. And if he died for sin, as I said, it wasn't his sin, but it was our sin. So at the root of the love of God demonstrated in the cross is God's absolute love for us in this, that he substituted himself, he laid down his life and stood in our place so that we could be brought near to God. And it's this that the Apostle Paul wants us to see as the controlling story or narrative in our lives. Because at the root of God's love is the cross and what God has done to deal with our sin at the cross. And and we see this in 1 John 4, verse 10, when the apostle says this. He says, in this is love. And so if you're looking for a definition of how to make sense of the love of God, it's right here. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of for our sins. And that word propitiation, it can be a little scary, but it's simply this. It's a atoning sacrifice or a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. And this is love that Jesus Christ laid down his life for sinners. 
And when we see that clearly, it breaks the power of sin in our life so that we can no longer live for ourselves, but we can live for the one who laid down his life for us. And Paul says this elsewhere. For example, in Romans 12.1, he says, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. For this is your spiritual act of worship. Another translation could say your logical act of worship because the Greek word there is this word logikos, which means logical. He comes to the conclusion because if the mercy of God is what the mercy of God is, then the only logical conclusion is to give everything I have for this love. This is the power of the gospel. And so for the Apostle Paul, he says, because of this love, because of the love of God, I no longer live for myself, but for him. But for him who for my sake died and was raised. There it is. You see how the gospel begins to define Paul's life and Paul's love. It is the controlling story or narrative of his life. Him for others, me for you. This is the love of God in our lives modeled after the cross and the resurrection. You see, our love is to be cruciform, or in other words, shaped by the cross. Because the power of sin is a gravitational pull toward living for self. And for the Apostle Paul, he says the only way for us to break that power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when we see our sins hanging on the cross, when we feel his grace and mercy, it humbles us. It humbles us. And we see that the first shall be last and the last shall be first and that in his glory is his suffering and in his service. And we are broken and therefore sin is broken and we are made alive in Christ because of the resurrection and we come alive in Christ and as we love God and as we love others, we feel the resurrection life of Christ coursing through our life and our veins because it's in the same way that he has loved us. Because number three, if you're taking notes, the love of God changes us. We love this verse, right? Verses 16 to 17, it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. You see, Paul says he no longer views people from the flesh. Now, in in the New Testament, the flesh is this kind of impulse towards selfishness. It's glory hungry. It, it, It wants to save itself. It lives for the significance of self. It's all about me, the flesh. And so Paul says, listen, we used to see everything in the world according to the flesh. But now, because of the gospel, but now because of what we celebrated on Good Friday and because of Easter, we no longer do that. We're a new creation. We have a whole new perspective, a whole new perception. We see the world differently because of the gospel. And he says, there has been this, he says, if you have become a new creation, if you put your trust and your faith in Christ, then you have repented. And, and repentance is this Greek word metanoia, which means to think differently, meaning you see differently, you think differently. And because you see and think differently, you act differently, you love, because now you have a controlling narrative in your life, the gospel. And so Paul understands that if we are in Christ, we have been united by faith in his death. If we have been united by faith in his resurrection, what we celebrate in baptism, 
then the love of God has been poured in our hearts, Romans 5 says, so that we are literally, really a new creation, something entirely new. The same life that brought Jesus out of the grave is the same life that lives in our hearts. We have a new view, a new lens on life. The old has passed away. The new has come. Yes, we do have a new identity, and, but we also have a new way of thinking. We have a new slate. Yes, we, our sins have been forgiven. Amen, right? Past, present, future. But we also have a new purpose. We've been loved to love. We've been loved to love. And, and real quick, you know, I, I grew up at the age of 13. I felt the call to gospel ministry, and I said no. Uh, I wanted to play baseball. I pitched, and I could throw pretty hard. And, um, and then in my junior year, I, I tore my uh, ACL and was out the whole year. And at that time, I met my wife, uh, my now wife. Uh, we started dating in high school, and we got married at 19. And really, baseball was all about me, my significance, everything about me. And then I just carried that lens, that old, into my marriage. So guess what marriage was? All about me. And I didn't want to have anything to do with uh, ministry. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. I didn't want anything to do with ministry. And so our marriage was rough the first couple years. And by God's grace, he began to work in my heart and then reminded me of the call to ministry. But then you know what happened when I went to ministry as a youth pastor? I started to make that about me. And so I was competitive. And the same proud person that was on the baseball field was in ministry. And it was just a wreck. And, And life was just tumbling down. And at one point... I was extremely overweight, even suicidal at times, and I was a pastor, and it was just a really rough time because I had made it all about me. And then by God's sheer grace in 2005, I call it I got Nebuchadnezzar, because at the lowest of my low, I looked up and I saw that he is beautiful and that his glory is ultimate and his gospel is central, and it absolutely changed everything because the old had gone and the new had come. You see, it's in that moment where you see the glory of God in the light of the gospel, when you see the face of Christ and you see the beauty that you can now live for him and you forget yourself. It's a beautiful self-forgetfulness that the gospel creates in our hearts. And by God's grace, if, if he had not intervened, I probably would not be married. I probably would not be in ministry. But by God's grace, not only did he love me and reveal his glory to me, but he sent me on mission to ultimately plant a church in Elk Grove and then through circumstances end up here in Lodi. Because when God loves you and when God reveals himself in the gospel, it's for a purpose. God changes us for a purpose because, number four, the love of God commissions us. The love of God commissions us. And, and what do we have to say about this, right? Like this good news of the gospel, do we deserve it? No. Did I deserve it? No. But look at what it, Paul says here in verse 18. All this is from God. It's a gift, but he reconciles us to himself and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation So that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but he entrusts to us the message of reconciliation. He makes us ambassadors. And at that point, I go, God, do you got a better plan? Do you got a plan B? Because you've seen me, right? Like I'm this jar of clay that has this all-surpassing power, that has this treasure as a jar of clay. And what's the point 
The point is this, that, that in Christ, when he uses weak and broken vessels to love others, to be his ambassadors, he gets all the glory and we get all the joy. The joy of being with our Father as he changes things, as he makes all things new. That is the beauty of living out our Christianity in our everyday life. God is making his appeal through us. We are saved to serve. We are changed to be commissioned. We are loved to love. What God has done in you through the power of the gospel, he wants to do through you. That's the big idea this morning. God wants to love through you. So we cannot stay silent, my friends. God is making his appeal through us. God wants our city to know his love through you, First Baptist. God wants to shine his love all over our city through his beloved, through the church. This is the kind of stuff that gets you up in the morning. This is the kind of stuff that drives you to your knees. This is the truth that God has given us a purpose in the world. He invites you, his sons and his daughters, to join him in the renewal of all things. We get to be about our Father's business. Amazing. And lastly, number five, yes, the love of God, of course it does. It comforts us. Look at verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So please, if at any point you got a little nervous and worried that I'm against the comfort of the gospel or that there's nothing in it for you, that's not the truth at all. Did you hear verse 21? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we can be the righteousness of God. Because loving others can be hard. Loving your spouse at times can be hard. Loving your kids at times can be hard, let alone your neighbor or your enemy or people not like us. It can be difficult. We might get timid. We might be a little tentative or afraid. But here's the truth this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes us bold as lions because we have become the righteousness of Christ. We have been clothed with his perfect life and his perfect obedience. His glorious righteousness we wear as robes and our sin is gone. He lived the life that we couldn't and he died the death that we should have died. And through his resurrection, we have been reconciled to himself and been given newness of life, a whole new vision, a whole new worldview. We have a mission, church, and we have a purpose. We have been given an assignment, and it can best be summed up in one word, love. Love. We love because he first loved us. And so, my friends, my prayer for you is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we just celebrated on Easter weekend, in glorious fashion, that it would become the controller in your life and that you would no longer live for yourself but live for the one who for your sake, for your sake died and was raised. And if by the grace of God we will live out this gospel, then God's love will shine in our lives. Because of the resurrection, church, we can light the beam. 
I was so glad they won last night so I could work that in somewhere. But... And if we do, we will be the light of the world, a city on a hill. God's love shined at Calvary. And today, by his spirit, God's love can shine in and through you, church. So what? So what? Really, for me, this is the heart behind Love Lodi. I'm in the city for the city. And Love Lodi is an opportunity for the church to lead the way in love, to live in light of the resurrection, and to love and serve those in our community. We want Love Lodi to be more than a citywide volunteer day on the last Saturday in April. We want to love Lodi year-round. I love what you're doing with Helping Hands. We want that bottled up and distributed everywhere in our city. And we want to love Lodi together, all the churches working together in unison. Why? So that they will know. Who will know? The city will know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is who he said he was. So if you want more information about Love Lodi, my wife and I will be at the table in the lobby and um, we encourage you, this, this year we put together an 11-day devotional that seven pastors um, from our city wrote some devotionals, including Pastor Glenn. And if, if, if you want to cultivate your heart in this season, season leading up to Love Lodi, I encourage you to stop by, grab that devotional. There's prayer points for every day and some devotionals. And then I invite you to a citywide prayer time at our church two days before Love Lodi. But church, we have an opportunity to love our city and to show them that love shines. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you that in the gospel, in the scriptures, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us this knowledge, that you have said to our hearts, be, let there be light. And you have put in us new creation. Your spirit that was there in Genesis is at the same time brooding over our hearts, even this morning, to create life, light, and love. And so, Father, we come this morning expecting you to work in our hearts and our minds so that we can love our city, that we can love one another, and we can love you. And so I just want to pray for you this morning. If, if you would say with me this morning that I, you want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be the controlling story in your life, and that you this day would live no longer for yourself, but live for the one who loved you, who gave himself for you and was raised on the third day. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can just pray for you this morning? My hand's lifted. If you want to join me this morning and just pray to God. Father, you see those of us in this room that want to live for you because of the love that you have had for us. Lord, would you send your spirit to warm our hearts this morning so that we would be full of your love and it would bear fruit in our everyday life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.